Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. The secret to summer-ready skin is here. Osea's number one best-selling Andaria Algae Body Oil, clinically proven to instantly improve skin elasticity and transform dry skin to silky, soft, and unbelievably glowing. Its signature scent of freshly squeezed grapefruit, cypress, and mango mandarin transports you to sun-kissed summer days. Get healthy, glowing skin for summer with clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code GLOW at OseaMalibu.com. The HSC is asking patients to please stay away from emergency departments if possible as a number around the country are under significant pressure again this week. But what happens when you have no choice but to attend uh, an, an A&E department? Is it acceptable that an 87-year-old man would have to spend 100 hours waiting for a bed at University Hospital Limerick? Well, highlighting the case of his uh, grandfather is uh, Conor Sheehan who joins me this morning. O'Connor also happens to be a councillor for Limerick City and uh, county uh, councillor, um, but very much joins me as a concerned grandson this morning. Good morning to you, Connor. Good morning, Patricia, and a very good morning to your listeners. And I suppose the first question is, how is your granddad, Jerry doing today? Um, he's a lot better. He's not fully there yet, but he's been in Croom Orthopaedic Hospital where he was sent on Monday evening um, and he's still receiving antibiotics, but the infection is beginning to clear Thank a good God. bit. Thank and God. He's receiving excellent care and treatment out there. And I mean, even from the point of view of like what I would describe being an A&E for 100 hours like that as it's almost like an assault on your senses because it's so bright and so loud and so... um you know, so busy there that even from the point of view of um, just even sleeping is virtually impossible there. So he he was absolutely exhausted from having been there so long. The poor man. So the poor man, and 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 yet we're, he's trying to recover. How can you recover when you're that stressed out? So I suppose we need to go back. It was actually this day last week, la- Thursday of last week. So just out, outline the series of events of what happened uh, to your grandfather. Well, basically, my granddad had an ulcer on his or has an ulcer on his leg. And this is sort of a recurring issue for him. But the ulcer wasn't clearing with oral antibiotics. So 
Um, my mum is an only child and it's my mum's dad, the only surviving grandparent we have left. And basically, um, my mum is immunocompromised at the moment because she was having chemotherapy in the second half of last year. So she can't really go near any hospitals or doctors. So basically, she rang me and asked me would I take him to the GP um, that the leg was concerning her. It wasn't healing. He was in a lot of pain. So I took him to his GP um, and luckily he has a brilliant GP and she looked at the leg and said, look, I'm going to try and get an appointment for a place known as the Surgical Assessment Unit at UHL because I'm really I'm concerned that that ulcer isn't clearing and he needs an oral he needs an IV antibiotic. So she rang anyway and she couldn't get an appointment with us for the Thursday. So this was early Thursday afternoon. So she said to me, you have two choices. You can either bring him to the ED or you can come back tomorrow and we can try and get an appointment for the surgical assessment unit. And I just made a judgment call at the time. I said, like, um, if I drop him home for the night, because he's very independent and he's cognitively, he's perfect, physically, not so great. Um, but that's unfortunately old age. So I decided to take him to, to a and E. Um, because on, just on, on the Thursday, because also on the Thursday, all the th- and, and the, the GP sounds like lovely and, and doing her very best. She couldn't guarantee that if you had waited until the Friday, that she could get him in to the surgical unit. That's the point, Patricia. Um, that's exactly it, and that's why I decided. Um, I made the judgment call. You know, I was thinking to myself, I'll take him to to ED, and we'll tough it out. Um, I I would have sort of assumed that maybe after 12, 14, 16, 18, 24 hours that he would have been admitted to a ward someplace. But he, when we w- went out there, he was obviously triaged and seen. Um, they said they were concerned about the ulcer um, and that the ulcer had become septic and that he also had cellulitis. So they said, look, he needs an oral, he needs an IV antibiotic. So I basically was with him until I'd say about 3 a.m. on the Friday morning when he went down to a unit at the back of, into a cubicle at the back of A&E in an area known as the clinical decision unit. And of course, that was that was into Friday morning. I had to go very early Friday morning. I was working Friday. I, I had stuff to do. So my father came back from England um, where he where he was working last week. So he booked an early flight back and he was there all day the Friday. Then it was it was on the Saturday. Then my dad got a phone call to go back out to the hospital because my granddad had deteriorated at that stage and had become very confused and was trying to get out of bed, was ripping out the IV line. God, he had become delirious. And that that cubicle, that cubicle that he was in, was he in that cubicle on his own? Yeah. He was in that cubicle on his own. Well, and then um, what? Nurses and care assistants just popping in and out to see how he was getting on, was it? They were, they, they were, they were in and out to him. But you see, when we went out on the Saturday, he had to be moved again because he he was becoming quite difficult to handle because of the delirium that had set in. Um, and and is that very much out of character for him, Connor? Oh, 100%. Like, my yeah. granddad is normally a very, very lucid individual. Like, he's he's very, very independent. He lives on his own. He still drives. 
Um, he's able to do the vast majority of things without assistance. You, you know, he manages all his own affairs, financial and everything like that. And, but he was just getting a bit confused and didn't know where, and, and probably because of how unwell he was. Well, you see, that's it. And it's it's very common. Like, my sister is a nurse, and luckily um, she works in Dublin. And I was, I was FaceTiming her at one stage from the cubicle with my granddad because UHL is so busy and so overrun, um, and so understaffed that like it's it's quite difficult out there to get information because the staff are are so so busy, and we know from the Hikra report last year that there is a shortage of thirty four nursing posts alone. And like to be honest, I I only saw the headlines of that Hikra report when it first came out last year. But I actually went and read it on Monday and I could have wrote it last weekend. Goodness. Like nothing, and and nothing obviously it changed. wasn't, and I'm assuming it wasn't when you were in the in the ED, it wasn't just your granddad. Was, was there very obviously other older people on their own? There were, there were a lot of older people. Like, like if, you, if you fast forward now to the Monday, he was back out on a corridor on a trolley on the Monday. And then we got word Monday afternoon that that he might be going to Croom, but that it couldn't be confirmed and they didn't know when. And when I went out Monday afternoon, um, late Monday afternoon, he was very confused again. And there was another man behind him on another trolley, very confused. And, you know, my granddad at one stage was inclined at the time because he was so confused nearly to go over to that other man's trolley because he thought that other man's bag of uh, clothes or whatever was his bag of clothes oh, but like yeah. there's no dignity or yeah, there's no yeah there's so you 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 finally got word and and he got moved to Croom and I'm assuming it's only since he's moved to Croom on the Monday which is now a hundred hours after he was on that trolley it's only at that point you you can start to see him getting better oh a hundred percent like as in I went out to Croom Tuesday afternoon to see him and the first thing that struck me when I went out there was how calm and tranquil um, and relaxing the place was like in comparison to being in UHL you know it was really peaceful out there Um, and when I went out there he was in relatively he was in relatively good form he was so exhausted from being in the A&E that he Basically, he was nodding off in the bed as I was sitting there and I went away after about an hour. But like, I mean, only for my sister going out there, my sister who's a nurse came down from Dublin at the weekend and she went out there firstly because she was concerned about him. But she also went out there to give him a bit of a wash because he hadn't been washed in the time that he was in A&E like he like I got a bag of clothes, for example, out of that that my granddad had worn more or less when he was in A&E and like I'm not being funny or anything but I took one look at them and they went straight into my wheelie bin oh, um, I know and was was he being fed did he eat while he was there or he, he, he was he was being fed okay. and in, in fairness I have to say to the staff out there like the staff in A&E in general were excellent like they did their very best but like there isn't enough of them that's the and problem. He shouldn't, and he shouldn't have been there. And, and, and I know, I know you'll have experts saying, oh, look, it's down to the time of the year. There's flu, there's COVID. It's, it's just, it always happens at this time of year. But, but that, that excuse just isn't acceptable anymore, is it? 
Well, 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 like, it's the whole thing. You just hit it on the... You hit the nail on the head there, Patricia. Oh, it happens every year. Like, and that's part of the problem because in the Midwest, and I know it affects North Cork as well because, you know, people up as far as Charleville and, and, and places like that, like, they depend on on UHL and, and everything like that. And we've just come to a situation in the Midwest where we just shrug our shoulders and we say, oh, that's acceptable. But like the, the fact of the matter is like the next nearest Model 4 hospital to you in your studio is CUH. And mm. if you look at the numbers on trolleys in CUH, if there's 120 in UHL or 100, there's it's usually 50 or something in CUH. So like there's while we do have a problem with overcrowding in general, and the trolley crisis in general in, in, in our Model 4 hospitals, like there's a specific UHL problem. It's always... It's, uh, it's and whenever, yeah, says. every time we're reading out trolley watch figures, particularly the ones from the INMO, you can be guaranteed that uh, University Hospital Limerick will be, will be absolutely top of uh, the list. And then this, and, and I started in my introduction with the HSE again this week, urging people not to attend uh, the A&E. I mean, and that's all well and good if you don't need hospital treatment. But for those like your granddad, they have no choice, but they have to attend. He needed an IV drip. He's not going to get that anywhere else except at a hospital. Yeah, and that's part of the problem. And my real concern is, and I've gotten it anecdotally through my through my my work as a county councillor. Like I've had elderly people say to me whether it whether I be whether I'd meet them or whether I'd be canvassing or whatever, and they'd say to me, "Whatever you do, like if I get sick, I don't want to end up out there." And that's actually really scary because you have people who could potentially like, you know, who may need medical treatment for something and who could be sitting at home and who could be very like, I'm not going out there. I'm not going out there. But, yeah, that's ex- yeah, Connor, that's ex- uh, sadly, that is exactly uh, what is uh, hap- happening. And I know um, UHL have issued an apology to, to your granddad. Well, they they issued a statement, but like... Um, they issued a statement which contained an apology within it. But like this isn't particularly just about my granddad and him being my granddad. This is about the fact that like somebody at the age of 87 was on a trolley for 100 hours um, and that can't happen again and that shouldn't happen again. And we need, for example, we need, for example, the government to instruct the HSE at the very least to lift the recruitment ban to try and see can they fill some of the vacant posts that are out there because who's going to come back from Australia if they can only get a three-month temporary contract? And unless we fill some of those posts, we're never going to... Like, we're in a a spiral here where this happens every single year. So, like, like, the apology that was issued in that statement, look... That is what it is. But what I would really like to see is like, w- like what's going to change? Action. This, like? Yeah, action to make sure that there, there won't be in another few weeks having to apologise to another family or to another group of patients. OK, listen, uh, Connor, thank you for speaking to us and pass on our best wishes to your granddad. But uh, thanks for joining us on the programme this morning.
Thank you, Patricia. Good morning to you. That is uh, Labour Councillor Connor uh, Sheehan, who is a Labour Councillor in uh, Limerick, with his granddad's uh, story. 0818103103. John Paul's taking your calls. You can text her WhatsApp to 0862103103. Margaret uh, says, has that Councillor Connor been living under a rock the last 5, 10, 15 years? The issues in at UL... UL Hospital and the A&E has been widely known and highlighted in the media. Is he only talking about it now because it's knocked on his no on his own door? I do hope his granddad makes a full recovery. In fairness, I don't think he thinks it's something that's only happened now because he did reference the point uh, that there's been an ongoing problem at University Hospital at Limerick. But when it does come to your own door, I think you see the reality of the effect that it can have on someone.